Welcome to B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper, brought to you by True. For too long, B2B has lacked creativity and inspiration, leading to alarming declines in effectiveness and marketing departments being slowly devalued more and more within their organizations. We're here to change that by getting under the skin of what it really means to be a highly effective B2B marketer. We'll be speaking to some of the brightest minds in the industry to discuss what they're doing to be a bit more, well, Don Draper. And now, here's your host, Stuart Black. Joining us today on B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper is Miriam Faber. Miriam has worked in B2B strategic marketing roles for 17 years, delivering award-winning content for agencies such as MNC Saatchi, Adjust Your Set, and the Oliver Agency, before moving to Meta. She helps people understand how Meta can help build communities and drive business growth. She's also a strong leader in driving diversity and inclusion within Meta and sits within the trade body DNI boards at the IAB and the ISBA. So Miriam Faber, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Lovely to have you as well. Uh, first off then, what does being a bit more Don Draper mean to you? Ooh, well, for me, it really means about bringing some, some sass, some class, a bit of disruption, and I guess just bringing a bit more kind of, you know, fun and a bit of intrigue to marketing. I think, you know, for, for a lot of people, you say B2B and it sounds like the boring side of marketing. And I hope that being a bit more Don Draper means that actually you can have a lot more fun. And actually, I think there's there's loads of ambition, loads of space for us to kind of use that as a bit of a playground. So for me, it means all those things. Great stuff. So tell us about your role at Meta then. What are you responsible for exactly? And what attracted you to the company in the first place? So my current role is UK Head of Business Marketing. So I sit within uh, what we call, well, I guess, the, the business marketing team. And essentially my team is really there to help our biggest marketers, our creators, um, really try and unlock economic impact um, and drive social opportunity. So that for us means showing off our new advertising solutions. It could be helping build people's careers. Essentially, it's about trying to drive business growth for all those peoples. So that's, that's kind of what we do. And tell us then what the Meta for Business Value proposition is exactly. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, it's really about trying to support all our different communities in trying to prosper and grow economically and socially and build community at the heart of everything we do at Matter. We have one big mission that hasn't changed in the last 18 years that Zuck's owned the company. And that's essentially to give people the power to build community and build the world closer together. So you'll see that happening very quickly. You know, so some of our more obvious things like groups on Facebook your Instagram stories, reels and things like that. There's a load of stuff that we do that people don't even know we do. And that could be through business equality. It could be through sponsoring, you know, awards and training programs for underrepresented communities and things like that. So my team does a whole spectrum of work. And a lot of the things that we do might not even be talked about or recognized. And I think, um, yeah, it, it's a great place to be. And I, I'm lucky to say that I'm one of those probably rare people that actually says I actually do love my job. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Well, let's talk about them uh, if they're not often as, as, as recognised as you'd like them to be. What are you doing to communicate uh, those propositions with your audience? I think one of the interesting things we're doing is actually trying to be more culturally relevant. And by that, I mean is, you know, there's absolutely a place for traditional marketing, whether that be through partnerships, whether that be through advertising, industry events, you know, we still show up at Ad Week and Cannes and all the usual suspects, places we are. Mm -hmm. 
But I think, you know, blurring the lines between B2B and consumer marketing is something that my team is probably quite maverick at. <laughs> we enjoy doing. So by that, I mean, you know, we, we're very lucky, you know, being one of the biggest tech companies out there. We have the resources to be able to collaborate with some really interesting, innovative people. That could be individual creators. It could be really disruptive small businesses. And kind of obviously spotting those trends that are happening on our platform and being able to insert ourselves into those conversations inside culture. So for me, it's really about trying to, to demonstrate those things. And, you know, we are currently in the month of Ramadan. Um, it's going to be Eid um, at the end of this month. And just one of the examples of things that we've done is we brought together a couple of our UK creators um, and actually helped Next, our UK retail retailer. Uh, if you've seen lots of Next on the high street. And we actually use some of our Instagram creators to actually get, you know, behind the camera, um, create some reels on Instagram and Facebook for Next, showing off their their Eid um, uh, clothing and makeup and all those kinds of things and actually drive commerce through diverse conversations, you know. And I strongly believe things like, you know, diversity will drive discovery. You know, if, you, if you're following interesting, diverse people and you're part of diverse conversations, inherently you will discover more interesting things. I think that's just one example of the kind of stuff that my team will be doing is kind of really trying to get into the heart of culture, using our products and innovation, driving new communities to get together and making real world impact. And it must be super interesting getting involved in all those cultural events and moments, stuff that, as you say, it's not that traditional. So you, you can yeah. explore brand new territory. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that uh, I think I just showed you before we came on this podcast, actually, is you know, uh, my Oculus. Um, so for us, a new territory right now is, you know, we rebranded our name just early this year um, to Meta. So inherently, people are thinking of meta equals the metaverse. And I think mm. it's important to say, you know, that that new territory, the metaverse is so exciting. and There's so many opportunities there. But, you know, one thing that I, I definitely always land with people is that the metaverse will exist whether meta does or not. You know, the metaverse is something that will be co-created and co-owned by lots of people and lots of brands. You know, like the Internet isn't owned by one company. It's built together with lots of people. Um, so that is a new territory I think I'm so excited for. You know, we we don't even know what it will look like in five years or in ten years, you know. So I'm very excited to see what happens there. Well, let's let's drill down and talk about it a little bit. Most people have heard of the metaverse. They they have maybe a rough idea based on movies and comic books of what it might be, but you've just been using it before this call to have a meeting. So do you want to just <laughs> tell us what it looks like and, and what we should expect? Yeah, sure. I mean Yes, there's the hardware. So whether that be an Oculus Quest, whether that be on Ray-Ban Stories, there's the hardware that allows you to essentially have an immersive experience. And what we're you know passionate about, these immersive experiences are not there to replace real life experiences. They're there to enable you to become closer to the experiences you want to have. So, you know, talking about my team meeting that I just had, for example, we used a, an app which is called Horizon Workrooms. Now, workrooms essentially allows us, you know, where there are I think, eight of us in the meeting just before, all in completely different places. Some of us internationally had, you know, team members in Copenhagen, Stockholm and so on. And we all basically got to sit around a conference room table and literally feel like I'm sitting next to the person next to me, you know, and you could high five each other and you kind of see all these sparks come off as our hands clap together and <laughs> we can co-create on a whiteboard and all draw together so it's creating spaces and experiences that you can't have in real life. You know, we're showing up as avatars. We're not showing up, you know, it's not a photo real representation of myself. I've created and designed an avatar um, that I want and I feel represents me. 
other people might look at that avatar and go, that doesn't look anything like her, but I've created it. I feel like that's how I want to be represented. So I think it's just a really interesting space, you know, for people to kind of play and, and experience things. But you know, I, I could talk about the metaverse for a hell of a long time. You know, the, there's so many things that it's solving for and so many experiences people will use it for. And half those things aren't even defined yet. And it and it's inevitable by the sounds of things. We're all going to be uh, pulled into it, whether we whether we like it or not. So something we're going to have to get used to and find out for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know people shouldn't be afraid of change, and I don't think it's the kind of change we think. You know, well that means that now I'm just going to be living in a virtual world and I'm going to see anybody anymore. Right? Well, that's absolutely not true. You know, I'm I came out of my quest too, and I'm here sitting on a call with you, and I'm then going to go pick up my daughter from nursery in real life, and none of those things change. It's just another way of communicating. Now, we say the metaverse, a lot of people call it Web 3.0. And by that, I guess Web 3.0 is a series of different things. So you'll have things like cryptocurrency, blockchain, avatars, the metaverse, all those things coming together, essentially Web 3.0 being the next experience of digital platforms. And what are the implications for brands in the metaverse? Can you build a brand in the metaverse? How is that going to play out? This is the exciting area you've got me talking about. So I think, you know, we, we fundamentally believe there are probably, you know, two or three really exciting ways to kind of build brands now. One, I think, is kind of, you know, what we call connected voices, partnering with diverse creators who've got, you know, incredibly powerful voices um, and their own following, their own communities. Then you've got connected experiences, which I think is the part you're talking about, you know, actually brand building in new spaces, whether that be AR video, whether that be live ads, whether that be in-stream. And then finally, we've got something called connected discovery. Sorry. And that basically means, you know, how people are actually making purchases. So I might see an ad on Instagram or I might see a creator talking about something they're wearing, like that next example I talked to you. And they'll be able to literally purchase it where they see it. That could be in Instagram. It could be in the metaverse. It could be wherever. So in terms of building a brand in the metaverse, I think, yes, but I think there's only one part of it. I think, you know, creating and brand building on our platforms now, Utopia is really using those three key elements. It's connected voices, experiences, and discovery to purchases, essentially, because that's essentially your ecosystem. And that's brand building, I think, in the new world. And as part of what you do, you're targeting a lot of different audiences. So let's talk about that. You've got brands, small businesses, influencers, agencies. Uh, how do you sort of pull them together? And what does the Facebook for Business brand mean to them? So, you know, going back to, you know, you asked me what our, what our brand and, and our mission is. So, you know, my, my group's mission is to give everyone that economic and social opportunity. So whether you are a creator, a developer, a nonprofit, a community leader, our team is there to service all of those people and make it a level playing field. Um, so in, in terms of how we treat all those people, you know, yes, we might go to market differently to reach those audiences, but it really is about leveling the playing field and making, you know, access for all is one of our principles. Um, and I think, you know, that's really important. This is not like an exclusive club. You don't just get to use parts of our ecosystem. If you've you know, got a certain threshold, you've got a certain number of users. It is about leveling that playing field. And and over the past few years, we all know there's been a bit of bad press for Facebook. How are you going to build trust in the in, in Facebook going forward and the Meta brand? Well, I think you know ultimately the safety integrity kind of question mark. I, I strongly believe it's a it's an industry challenge, not just one that applies to Meta. First of all, I think you know there's been so many 
changes, whether that be through hate speech, bullying, all sorts of things, you know. So I think I guess what I want to say, first of all, this is, this is not necessarily my my area of responsibility or expertise, but, you know, obviously I've got a perspective on it. Mm-hmm. So I think there are things that, like, um, I do believe, for example, that personalization and privacy online can coexist. I think that there is something you know, that, that is worth persevering and it's something that we need to find a solution for. But there I think also, you know, go back to the conversation around, actually I think that the answer exists in building new technologies. So, for example, you know, as we are building the metaverse and our new suite of technologies, I think partnering with, you know, trade body, policymakers, experts, all those type of people, I think that is where we're going to be able to actually make proper change. And I think as a business, we've shown up really responsibly. You know, we're making a $50 million contribution in a research program that helps people develop responsibly. We've got a set of uh, principles in reality labs, which is our kind of, you know, our new part of technology and development, which is purely around trying to make sure that we're developing for accessibility, for privacy, through security. So it's something that is absolutely, you know, core to our business now and future proofing because we understand, that, you know, it is something that needs to be fixed. It's not a meta problem. It's an industry problem. We're definitely, you know, uh, here to kind of help fix our part of the puzzle. And can you give us some examples then of how Meta is raising the profile of the brand through top line creative brand building? Gosh, there's so many examples. <laughs> um, I think for me, it's really about trying to demonstrate, you know, where our our incredible reach, you know, we have over 3.6 billion users on our platforms. Um the best examples come when we're actually making change and impact at scale um, and, and through creativity. And I think one of the examples that really comes to mind is something that we did around um, the Euros last year. So obviously with COVID, you know, 2020, everything happened. A lot of people essentially, you know, got benched, um, whether that was because of football, whether they couldn't play through all sorts of reasons. And actually what our team did in Creative Shop is kind of like our internal agency creators if you like what they did was they saw this as a huge opportunity and said right well we've got one of the huge brands that play football right it's adidas what do we do with all the players that are basically not able to play but we still want to use them and use the power of their voices power of their communities to actually do something Mm. so what we did was we created a campaign called hashtag home team and what they basically did was everyone on the adidas team so all the sponsored athletes which are obviously very very high profile essentially be able to uh, go away and start using this hashtag home team to create a, sorry, to almost create like a movement. So what they did was start to, you know, show people what their daily lives were like, you know, you're not going there to play, you know, at the Euros, you're not at the Olympics, but hang on, this is what my real life looks like. Um, And I think that was incredibly inspirational. You know, it was creative in the fact that actually we turned players into almost news channels if you like you know and if you think about how many millions of followers each of those players have what we did was create a community of people who are also at home love sport love their plays but they're not watching football so I think you know creativity doesn't necessarily have to be like you know a beautiful above the line piece or a piece of tv advertising or even something you know uh, an advertisement I think again you know going back to those connected voices, those experiences is kind of when our platforms really are at their best is using the people who are using our tools and products to make real world change. Mm. 
And as you know, this podcast is about the power of brand building. Um, how does that apply to tech businesses? And what advice do you have for other fast-growing tech businesses about when they should start thinking about managing their brand? What I would say is that, you know, we are an 18-year-old company, and that's obviously a lot younger than a lot of people. I think we've made lots of advances, but we haven't sometimes moved probably even fast enough. So, you know, we're probably quite slow realising the power perhaps of even our, our competitors such as TikTok. You know, we've said that openly. I think my personal advice to, to startups would be follow the, the kind of the motto that we've had for a long time, which is move fast, you know, be, be comfortable in ambiguity take risks, learn from your mistakes. It sounds like all the obvious stuff, but you know, we have as a company moved fast, trial products, binned them, made them better. But I think it's far better to do something and, and ship it, as we like to say at Facebook, ship it, you know, and done is sometimes better than perfect. Because if you're out there and you're testing and you're getting feedback and you're live and you're you're there first, it's much better there than to be the copycat who did it perfectly because you're not getting those learnings. I imagine Facebook has a very data-focused approach to marketing. Um, what do you think about creativity in relation to that and the value it adds to the overall marketing effort? So we are absolutely um, data-focused. I'm not necessarily um, in agreement that we we are completely data-obsessed when it comes to my own marketing team. You know, there, there are lots more platforms and channels we like to use in the mix beyond our own platforms. Um, but I think, you know, that conversation around data and creativity, you know, can they coexist? Whereas the tension is a really interesting one. Um, I personally really enjoy seeing cleverly targeted personalized ads when they can be useful, when they're interesting. Um, but I think in terms of creativity as well, I think they can be super creative. I've seen some amazing examples from the likes of Spotify. Um, you know, they're out of home, for example, it said, you know, in this area, did you know the most popular song is X? And I'm sure they've done that through data driven, you know, advertising and geotargeting thing. So I think you can surprise and delight using data. And I think that, you know, finding those stories that kind of really make them feel like that's useful to, that's interesting to, or it might even play on your heartstrings. I think, you know, there is a place for them to coexist. Yeah, that's a great example. Let's talk about emotion and about the importance of that within B2B brand building. Obviously, we've covered a lot of that already in the things that you've told us. Um, but how do you use emotion to build trust with B2B customers? Building trust is something that takes time. There isn't a magic cure or recipe to, to doing that. So I think knowing that that's going to take time is about creating that human experience. And, and that emotion, I think, will be built by being consistent. And by that, I think, you know, being consistent means that you become predictable, means you become reliable. I think that builds trust over time. And there is a general opinion that B2B marketing, uh, emotional messaging is more effective in the long term, rational messaging more effective in the short term. To what extent do you agree with that? I'm not sure I do agree with that. <laughs> Where do you stand then? Um, I think you can absolutely trigger emotion a short amount of time. You know, some of our most successful formats, looking at, you know, Instagram stories, looking at reels, they're three second, six second formats, and they can absolutely land a laugh, a cry, a tear, a heart stop. So I think in, in a very real situation, you can create emotion a short amount of time. 
And and with that then as well, what's the difference between uh, a good campaign and an average one? I think a good campaign. I mean, I was, I love technology. I also work for a big tech company. Um, but I genuinely think that a great campaign is one where you can make real life change. If you can change the way a group of people you know, think or, or change the way something is done, I think that is what makes a great campaign. You know, just doing a great campaign for the hell of it. It might look beautiful. It might be incredible. You know, a lot of people have seen that beautiful statue, you know, the bull and the girl, you know, brave girl. That has become such a, a landmark of like a wow, you know, I think you won goodness knows how many Grand Prix at Cannes, that kind of stuff. I just think that stands for something. You know, this is not an ad in its typical format, but it makes people literally physically stop in their tracks and go, what does that mean? You know, it challenges so many stereotypes about the bull and bear kind of market, you know, to do it in like a financial district. It challenges people, you know, of like being a woman about challenging this like, you know, fierceness. So I think whatever the format, whatever it is, I think if it makes you think or feel differently and has that real world impact, for me, that is what totally sets apart great and okay advertising with that all in mind what's the best b2b marketing that you've been on the receiving end of i actually really like i like a lot of the stuff that i get from asos this shows where where i might enjoy shopping as well right (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm not sure it's strictly strictly b2b um but i'm going to use them as an example anyway so i'm slightly cheating i'm sorry (laughs) but what i like about it is the tonality of it and I think that's true, you know, it's applicable to B2B marketing. You know, I think it's the, oops, Miriam, you forgot to add this to your shopping basket. Or, hey, we know you like X, Y, and Z. And I think, you know, that familiarity without being over-familiar, the being useful, like, oh, we saw you added this to your basket. Did you forget to press buy? Or did you, you know, did you time out? Or you've got 10 minutes to click before it gets removed from basket. Those useful kind of nudges. Um, I think is super helpful. Um, I actually saw some really nice examples as well um, from Mother's Day. And this is terrible. I've forgotten exactly the brands. So I saw a few brands had done it. Um, Clossy Mother's Day can be, you know, a triggering time for a lot of people. They've lost their mother. They Maybe they were not able to be a mother. They want to be a mother, all sorts of things. Mm. And I saw some brands actually doing some really nice work. Neom, actually. Neom were one of the ones that did it. And said, hi, we know you're part of our um, subscriber community, but we know that this can be a triggering time. If you prefer to opt out of our Mother's Day emails or communications, just let us know. We'll be happy to do that. So I think, again, just being really sensitive to, you know, topics that are really triggering for people, things that, you know, you're mindful that actually, while you might be opted into a brand, there are certain things that you might not want to be opted into. And I think giving people that option and being conscious of those moments, I think is like incredibly insightful and emotive and actually makes you love the brand even more. Cause you think, well, you've actually taken a really human approach to this and it's not just a catch all. You're someone who's sat there and got to send this to everybody. Yeah. I think that's a good place then to move on to our rapid fire round. I'm going to throw some, huh? um, throw some questions at you and I just want you to respond as quickly as you can from the gut. Are you ready? <laughs> Go on. Number one, advertising or ABM? Advertising. Logic or magic? Magic. Brand building or lead generation? Brand building all day. Tell us why. I don't think you can get lead gen without brand building. I think they're kind of glove in hand. No one wants to hear from you unless they believe in your brand and find you interesting. So I think you've got to lead with brand building. Fair enough. And, and what do you think is the problem with B2B right now, if there is one? I don't 
think that there are enough opportunities to innovate. I think people are doing the same things they used to do. They still want to, you know, win awards and see their their name in kind of bright lights. And I think it's time to welcome a brand new era, a brand new generation of fresh thinking to shake up B2B marketing and allow it to happen and not just think, well, great means we won an award. Great means making change and embracing the fact there are new opinions and new ways of doing things. And I think that's what it needs. And then getting back to Don Draper, if he were to shake things up in the in the way you just described, how would he fix the problem? He would hire a load of <laughs> non, non-traditional agency folks from a diverse set of backgrounds and allow them to respond to the briefs. Being very progressive back in the 60s. I love it. <laughs> and then finally, if you could tell all CEOs to read one book, what would that be? I'll be honest, I'm not sure that I'm probably a a huge reader when it comes to um, the marketing space, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts and things like that. Go on then, give us a podcast. Why I'm on your podcast. You know, I think Stephen Bartlett's is great, you know, Um, I listen to that one a lot. Um, So I would say read listen to those but also i actually get a lot of joy out of listening to to non-business based things and i I think that as a ceo broadening your kind of horizon not just to business stuff it might sound like a bit of a cheat answer but i think it's really important it goes back to being culturally relevant and taps into who you're really trying to talk to brilliant so miriam faber all it leaves me to do is say thanks for such an insightful and fun chat you're welcome it's been lovely talking to you been great learning about your philosophy. I'm Stuart Black and see you all next time on B2B Needs Don Draper.